It's been uh, many years since I've been in this pulpit and since Annalise and I have worshipped in this congregation and we have fond memories of those experiences in the past. Liz said that we didn't come 2,500 miles just for me to preach here, but actually when I heard what you pay for mileage, I said to Annalise, let's go to Willoughby and I'll preach there. May 15. Our scripture lessons this morning, one from the Old Testament, one from the New, may appear at first to be a, a disconnect, but I trust that the Holy Spirit will guide us in these coming moments to appreciate the connection between them and also what the connection is between these scriptures and our hearts, our lives, our context, our circumstances today. Um, So our Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah 42, Isaiah 42, the first four verses. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry aloud or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Our New Testament lesson is from the last chapter of the Gospel of John. It's the story of of Jesus and the disciples on the beach, and Jesus has prepared a, a fish fry breakfast for them. And so they've enjoyed this meal together, Jesus and his closest followers. And we're told... When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my lambs. Again, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. A third time Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him a third time, Do you love me? And he answered, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thursday, February 24. That's the day that Russian troops invaded Ukraine. For nearly three months, we have watched the horror of this unwarranted aggression unfold. Relentless bombing, cities leveled, brutal atrocities. The human cost has been 
staggering. Over 6 million Ukrainians have fled the country for their safety. Up to 7 million have been displaced within the country. That's 13 million people forced to leave the comfort and security and the rhythms of their life that they have known and embraced for countless years. Over 5,000 casualties, 3,500 killed. It's estimated that up to half a million have been deported to filtration camps in Russia. It's heartbreaking and it's not over. As Martin alluded to in his prayer a few moments ago, yesterday afternoon in Buffalo, New York, an 18-year-old, what is that, a high school senior? An 18-year-old white fellow armed with automatic weapons, traveled 200 miles to a black neighborhood, walked into a grocery store and opened fire. Thirteen people, thirteen families, multiply that by all the families and persons touched by these thirteen, lives suddenly lost, changed, families drastically cast into the depths of grief. Shopping while black. As we follow the news and watch all of this unfold, what, what is it that we want? What is it that we want? What is it that we cry out for when it appears to us that an atrocity has been committed? Whether it's an isolated incident or something systemic or, or a war that's unfolding that has the whole world on edge. What is it we want? when we learn of thousands of unmarked graves at the sites of former residential schools across Canada? What is it we want when we discover that a son or daughter is being bullied at school? Or when we learn that a friend has betrayed our confidence and our reputation is being smeared? Or that a spouse has betrayed our love? We want justice. Whenever we learn of or personally experience hurts that are unfair, we want justice. We want things to be made right. But what does that look like? Bringing justice. Making things right in our lives, in our communities, in our world. What does it look like? The answer to that can be rather complicated. Human nature being what it is, I think we have to admit that our sense of justice is sometimes, perhaps often, no more than getting even. Payback, which is why we take vicarious satisfaction in watching countless TV shows, movies, and books that, where the protagonist is someone who has been dealt an injustice 
can't wait for the justice system to make things right and just takes matters in his or her own hand and we cheer them all along. And that is sometimes how it plays out in real life as well. When people and institutions have the power to do so, they can deliver justice in ways that look a lot more like settling scores. Well, as you know, as you know, the theme of justice is a central one in the story of the Bible. The psalmist declares that the Lord is king and that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. He's a mighty king who executes justice and righteousness. And when Messiah comes, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, he will establish and uphold David's throne with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. And how encouraging is it for us? How hopeful is that word that comes through the prophet Isaiah in that 42nd chapter that we heard a few moments ago? Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will bring forth justice in faithfulness. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. Three times, we're told in the space of four verses, that this servant of the Lord who is coming is coming to bring justice, to make things right. Eugene Peterson renders it this way in the message, He'll set everything right among the nations. He'll steadily and firmly set things right. He won't tire out and quit until he's finished his work to set things right on earth. The servant of the Lord, whom we know from Scripture to be the promised Messiah. Isaiah 42 is pointing us ahead to Jesus. To Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew tells of a time in the ministry of Jesus when the crowds came to him and we're told he cured all of them. He cured all of them. He healed all of them. And this, says Matthew, this, this occasion of Jesus healing the crowds, healing those who were broken among this, says Matthew, was in fulfillment of what Isaiah said about the servant of the Lord who will bring forth justice. That's an interesting connection. This healing ministry is a fulfillment of what Isaiah was talking about. The servant of the Lord making things right. Now, let's fast forward to the beach. The Sea of Galilee. Peter and the disciples are gathered. This is the story is the third resurrection appearance in the Gospel of John. It's the third resurrection appearance of Jesus told in that gospel. So this is the uh, this is the, the the risen Lord. This is the exalted Lord. This is this is the Lord, the one to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given. That's the one who appears now in this story. The one whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. The one who has been given all power and authority to make things right. To bring justice on earth. Peter 
and John and five other disciples, we're told. Five other disciples were there on the beach. So that's seven. Seven out of twelve erase Judas, seven out of eleven. So there's a quorum, quorum on the beach. They're still trying to get their heads, their hearts, their minds around the dramatic events of the last few days, weeks. Peter just has to get about it, get back out to at sea, and he says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And the others pause and they say, We're with you. They go out in the boats, fish all night long. Nothing. They catch nothing. In the morning, there's someone walking along the beach, and maybe because they're groggy from a night of sleeping, they're tired, they look, they can't see who it is. And this man calls out to them, How's the catch? And they shout back, Don't ask! And this man says, Well, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. What have they got to lose? They throw the nets on the other side of the boat. Perhaps you know the story, right? The net is so full, they cannot lift it into the boat. John looks back to the shore. He looks back to the beach at that man standing there, and now it's clear to him. Now he can see. It is the Lord. Impulsive Peter just jumps right in, swims to the beach, swims to shore. By the time the other disciples are on shore, Jesus has a fire going, tells them to bring a few fish, and they have this fish fry breakfast on the beach. And as they're sitting in that circle around the fire, Jesus turns to Peter. To Peter. The first time since Jesus rose from the grave, the first time since Peter's denials and betrayal, the first time the risen Lord engages Peter directly in conversation. And here you and I may wonder, so what will it mean in this circumstance, with this disciple, what will it mean for the risen Christ to bring forth justice with this one who denied him? What will it mean for Jesus to make things right with this one who failed so miserably in the time of trial? What does Peter deserve? What is justice for someone who has failed like Peter has failed? What does he have coming to him? And wouldn't we like to know what was going on in Peter's head and heart as Jesus turned to him? I, I'm, I'm imagining Jesus making eye contact. 
This is not an exchange that happens with Jesus kind of looking down, kind of kicking some sand over his sandals. I'm imagining this is Jesus focused on Peter, looking him directly in the eyes, looking right into his soul. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What kind of a question is that? How how do you answer that question? Imagine Jesus asking you this morning, you, individually, you, or you, or you in the back, or any one of yous, by name, do you love me more than that family sitting in front of you? Do you love me more than mom and dad sitting next to you? Do you love me more than the people who sit in the back of church? Do you love me more than the elder sitting a few benches ahead of you? Do you love me more than they love me? Yes, Lord, Peter answers, you, you know that I love you. No bravado, no boasting about nobody, how nobody could love Jesus as much as he loves Jesus, no comparing his love to anybody else's love. Remember, this is the same Peter who said when Jesus predicted that they would fall away, they would betray him, they would turn their backs on him, they would run away. And Peter said, oh, no, 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 no. Everybody else may do that. Everybody else may fail. Everybody else may deny. You can't really trust the rest of these guys. But I, Lord, I will be there. You can count on me. Well, that bravado is gone. This is a humbler Peter, a gentler Peter, a broken Peter, a bruised reed Peter, a smoldering wick Peter. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. Tend my lambs. Take take care of my precious people. Care for them, nurture them, watch over them, love them. A second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Another way of saying the same thing. Feed my lambs, shepherd them, take really good care of my people. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Third time. We're told Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. It's not hard for us to imagine Peter feeling hurt. We would probably feel the same way. 
Like, Lord, don't you believe me? Don't, 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 don't you believe what I'm... How, how many times do I have to say it? I made profession of faith last month, last year, 10 years ago, 50 years ago. I made profession of faith. I've been active in the church. I'm, 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 I'm involved. I'm engaged. I, I serve in this committee, that committee. I do things around here. I'm here most Sundays. How many times do I have to say it? Most interpreters agree that the threefold question by Jesus is intended to be Jesus' counterpoint to Peter's threefold denial in the courtyard of the high priest. Where Jesus is on trial, Peter's out warming himself by the fire in the courtyard, and three people come up to him in succession, each one asking, in effect, Say, say, I think I recognize you. You. You were with him, weren't you? No, I'm not, I'm not one of his. I'm not one of, I, I don't belong to him. I'm not one of his disciples. A few moments later, hey, I've seen you with him. Not me. I'm not one of his disciples. And the third one says, you were with this rabbi. I don't know the man. Jesus didn't want Peter's memory of their last conversation to be denials. Jesus wanted Peter's memory of their last conversation to be professions of love. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know me inside and out. You know me better than I know myself. You know that I love you. And with that, Jesus restores Peter. He makes things right for Peter. He brings forth justice for Peter the bruised reed and dimly burning wick. The risen Lord gently, graciously transforms Peter the denier, Peter the betrayer, into Peter the shepherd of Jesus' flock. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? The story of the Lord restoring bruised reeds, dimly burning wicks. The Lord turning a narrative of denial and betrayal into one of transformation and renewal for the good of Jesus' precious flock. I love what theologian N.T. Wright says about the justice of God. He says, God's justice is a saving, healing, restorative justice. God the Creator intends at the last to remake the creation, righting all wrongs, filling the world with His own presence. For this to happen, humans themselves have to be put right. For this to happen, humans themselves have to be put right. Here in our gospel lesson, we find Simon Peter put right by the risen Lord. And the wonderful thing is, this is not just Peter's story. It's in Scripture because the Lord intends it to become our story. He he invites us to live into the story, to own the story, to embrace the story, to let the story be ours. It's good news for all of us. The Lord restores bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks. He makes things right for us. 
What is it in your past or your present that has left you feeling broken, vulnerable? What hurt is there? What sin, what betrayal, what denial, what loss, what disappointment is it? What have you done that you shouldn't have done? What haven't you done that you were called to do? How have you, by words, by deeds, by thoughts, betrayed the Lord and denied Him in your life? How have you failed miserably in the time of trial? Because, come on, we all have. We all have. Not just once, but many times over in the course of our lives. What is that for you? Our gospel story assures us we do not have to live in constant fear that our sad little flame will be snuffed out. The risen Lord restores bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks like you and me. We're not hopeless. We're not helpless. Jesus, the servant of the Lord, restores. Whatever it is in your life, whatever that brokenness is, whatever that is in your heart, in your soul, in your relationships with others, in your relationship with the Lord, whatever it is, the Lord restores bruised reeds, dimly burning wicks. He sets right. He lifts up those who are bowed down, stands us back up, sends us back out. Old Testament to His restorative grace and His restorative justice. And maybe there is no more powerful way for us to embrace this gospel and accept Jesus restoring grace in our lives than to simply affirm that we love Him. We cannot undo that past. We cannot have that chapter over again. We cannot redo it. We cannot erase it. But we can turn our hearts and our eyes to Jesus in the present and say, I love you. I love you. I love you. In reflecting on the story of John 21, theologian Frederick Buechner, or Bruner ponders why Jesus asked Peter the question three times. This is what Bruner says. The simple fact that Jesus asks Peter three times about Peter's love for him teaches us this important lesson. The single major ordination question a minister, teacher, council member should be asked is this. Do you love Jesus? Where there is genuine love for Jesus Christ, we should be able to trust that person in most other areas of his or her life, from doctrine to ethics to financial responsibility to family 
fidelity. But since our love for Jesus is always flawed and incomplete, we need to constantly come back to Jesus' questions again and again and ask the Lord to make our love for him stronger and more sure. That first, second, and third question is the only question that honestly answered gives disciples a firm base for the rest of their lives. I think, congregation, that it is not only the single major ordination question that should be asked, it is the single most important question that any bruised reed or dimly burning wick of a person should be asked in order to embrace the restoring grace and restoring justice of Jesus and allow him to make things right for us in our lives and in our hearts. And so, I ask you, and I will ask it three times, and I invite you to respond, if you're able to do so with integrity, with a simple I do. Ideally, I would walk up to each one of you and just ask you the question by name, but that will take too much time. So as you hear the question, hear it addressed to you, individually and respond verbally. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? then take care of his sheep. Tend his flock. Care for each other. Oh, how the church today needs shepherding care. Oh, how Willoughby Church needs Jesus-loving members committed to taking care of each other, tending to each other. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. We thank you for the gospel this morning for coming to us today and looking us in the eyes, gazing into our souls, engaging us in your love, and calling us to respond in love. By your Holy Spirit, stir such love in our hearts this day that we may know that we are forgiven and go from here in the joy of being restored committed also to being shepherds for one another in the care of your church for your glory and our eternal good. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, 
and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.